Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. hello everybody welcome back you guys didn't hear any of that that's terrible hmm you guys didn't hear any of my intro so i gotta fix on my audio you guys saw it just had an episode not even two hours ago but nonetheless could not get the audio to function through both of the episodes so i will get steven on that as well darn you steven we need to pay him more of course but we are not going to but today's guest, we have an incredible guest. It's Tom Gallagher from the uh, Minnesota re- area of this country. He is a criminal defense lawyer. So he is defending people against the system. And uh, if, of course, if they're innocent, defending them against the guilty charges. So it's an incredible thing that he is doing. He is also working on uh, medical marijuana and, or just around cannabis reform, uh, working with normal he is working tirelessly and is doing an amazing job at being the activist that he is. And I'm so incredibly excited for the conversation today that we're going to be talking about jury. Uh, of course, a jury of your peers. We've all heard it. Some of us have been selected for it. Some of us have been selected to be on the juries. But what is it? How does it function? And of course, what are the powers that they have? And we're going to be talking about a very special a term called jury nullification. So there's a lot to it, and I am so incredibly excited for today's conversation around this. I uh, hope you guys are ready for that as well. But before we get into that, we got to do a little bit of housekeeping. So before, uh, just let Spike know, don't try it on my internet-capable devices. But on a serious note, November 8th, election night, what are you planning to do? Well, I am planning to be down there in Brevard County, Florida. If you guys want to come down there, Spike Cohen... Uh, Jordan Marlowe and myself will be speaking at the 2022 Golden Liberty Gala there in Brevard County, Florida, down at the Brevard Zoo there in Melbourne, Florida. Come on out there. Join up with us, lpbrevard.org slash gala. And when you guys get out there, you guys are going to have an incredible time. You'll also see Shelly, the Brazilian porcupine. It's going to be an incredible night. We are going to be reigniting those torches of liberty, getting people passionate about changing the culture and society around us to be more in all of our interests, not just those corporate interests, not just a a couple cronyists, not just the corporations, but everybody's interest. So come on out there, join us that night, lpbrevard.org slash gala. Also, if you're looking to get become a sponsor and help out and make this thing shine even more brightly, head on over to lpbrevard.org slash gala hyphen sponsors. And of course, I want to give a shout out and a thank you to Kelsey Lion Designs. If you guys are looking for a new logo, branding for your business, you're looking for business cards, you're looking to update your social media, you're looking to get out there and just 
have a bigger presence on social media, you guys got to head on over to KelseyLionDesigns.com or KelseyLion.design. You guys are not going to regret it. There are people across this entire country. She's further uh, reaching than I am, of course. And everybody rants and raves about what Kelsey Lyon did for them, for their business, for their campaigns, for their events, whatever it is, she will take care of you guys. Head over there, use the code MUDDIEDWATERS when you guys sign up, and she will give you a nice fat discount. Um, you guys are not going to regret that. Some of the people that have used that are Spike Cohen, Joe Jorgensen, Natalie Bruno from Oklahoma, uh, Ashley Shade. Oh, man, I can, I, I don't even know all the people, but she has hit. I, I think she's worked for somebody in all 50 states now. It's incredible. So make sure you guys are getting a part of that. Join in on that. But without further ado, I do want to bring on our guest for today. Tom, how's it going tonight, man? Great. Oh, I'm so glad that you were able to take some time out to join us. Uh, it's going to be, it's one of those conversations that I think is necessary because I think a lot of people have heard about this stuff, but they don't know the intricacies of it. And that's why I was really excited about hearing about you in the first place but then also hearing you know that you kind of get excited because this is right in your 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 line of work um so i first want to give you an opportunity i want to hear about you uh where do you come from like how did you get to where you are today and uh let's hear the highlights okay uh well i'm from minneapolis minnesota and uh i've been a lawyer since 1988 but before that i was a political activist an issue activist and as a result of being an issue activist, I've got involved in par party politics in several different political parties, as well as uh, candidate campaigns, including presidential campaigns, um, on you know local campaigns, everything. And uh, currently, I'm working as a member of the board of directors of Minnesota Normal, which is the Minnesota chapter of the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. And we're trying to legalize marijuana in Minnesota. And we seek to be, like all normal chapters, the voice of the consumer. We're a consumer advocacy group. Beautiful. I love it. Um, so you've worked in so many different kind of areas and then you, you became after that, um, once you became an activist, then you became a lawyer and then you continue on down those, those, those ways of kind of melding the two together. Yeah. I mean, I think I, my family was political, um, involved in politics and I think it just came naturally to me, um, as a result of that perhaps, but. Um, you know, I think if you're involved in politics, some of us get real excited about issues that maybe have a, a broader application than just our own narrow self-interest. Maybe we think we can improve the world somehow. I think a lot of younger people feel that way. And if you get started, you learn, wow, I can actually have a really big impact. And I've had a big impact on various things over the years. Um, and so once you get a taste of that, it's really hard to hard to stop yeah absolutely. and so and then and then yeah later on I, be, I became a lawyer and shortly after that i i decided i loved criminal law so that's that's what i've been doing beautiful well it's a it's it's always exciting to see like kind of where people started from and how they progressed to where they are to to this day and uh so i appreciate that um so today our conversation is centered around jury no uh, the jury itself and of course we'll talk about jury nullification as as a as a product of this um but this is something that's been 
been around you know this was old english to drive from and it came here along with the system and and so with how it's been functioning can you kind of give us the the generic view of how is a jury selected what kind of is its purpose and and you know is it how important is it to our criminal justice system as it stands well you know one thing that i'm super interested in is history and i think among lawyers that's pretty common. A lot of lawyers are real into history, and I'm, I'm not an exception to that. So when I look at jury, the jury and jury trials, I, I actually have studied, you know, the ancient Greek classical Athens era, where juries had more than 500 people, and they were paid um, the equivalent of the average income in that society, which I don't know what that would be today, like what, 40,000 a year, maybe? Yeah. Um, so that and based on that, I, I I'm a person who advocates paying jurors instead of basically constrict conscripting them into volunteer work, and then they they're losing money by not being able to do their regular job. But um, you know, and then you know the more recent history, the English legal history of juries, um, which is when jury jury nullification and jury power struggles as we know them began. Um, in the medieval times in England. And then we kind of inherited that as a colony of England. And our legal system largely is based on the British legal system. And then, you know, we, we kind of developed from there. But in the modern context, and over the years, the jury has fluctuated. I have often said that I believe that populism, if you look at American history, populism has become more of an influence and then less of an influence depending on yeah. the time, the historical period. Yep. Jury power. I think it, it, it matches populism almost a hundred percent. So if populism is, is big, then juries, jury power is big. If the populism and the people are um, put down and suppressed, then so is the jury and jury power post-World War II jury power became highly suppressed and the jury has been um, under attack. You could say, I would say since the world war II era okay. up, up, until, up until now, but in recent years, there's been an upsurge in people's interest in bringing back the jury and also coincidentally, or maybe not uh, an upswing in populism too, in the last several years, last decade or two. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's that's a really interesting correlation. I never even like thought about how how well those two would be correlated. So, with the physical actual jury, so you know, I, I didn't even know about the Greeks, and so that was just technically like their occupation. Is that? Um, I think it was. You know, I'm not an expert on it, so I've read yeah. a, a few books on it. But um, so people would meet in a certain place in Athens. Mm -hmm. And then they would uh, volunteer for jury service and then they would, you know, they would give their names and then because they would end up getting paid for that, you know, um, but they would have 500 people on a jury. So our juries in Minnesota for felonies, we only have 12 people, which is an incredibly small number. That's sometimes we call that a petite jury as okay. opposed to the grand jury, which is a bigger jury that uh, we sometimes use to consider indicting people. Um, or, or charging people with a crime. 
And so traditionally there was greater use. In Minnesota, we've kind of gone away from that except in bigger crimes. But um, that's another important example of kind of the diminishment of jury power is the diminishment of the grand jury and also the taking over of the grand jury more and more by the prosecutor, just like the regular petite jury mm-hmm. has been taken over more and more by the judge. Okay, so, because when we talk about those, so you had said that a petite jury is 12 people, a grand jury is much larger. What would you, is it on average we're going to see, if you see a jury trial, you're going to see roughly around 12, or is it going to be like more than that, less than that, or what would you say? So, yeah, normally in Minnesota, and I think in most states, you're going to see a 12-person jury Depending on the length of the expected length of the trial, if if the judge thinks the trial could go a little bit longer, they may want more than one alternate. But if they think it's going to be a pretty short trial, most judges probably are going to want at least one alternate juror, just in case somebody gets sick or some something strange happens. If they have an alternate juror, then they don't have to to do it over yeah. if one person can't make it through the whole way. That makes sense. And so you were also saying that in a more petite jury basis, the the judge has a little more sway in that, has a little more control over them. Is that just kind of like he's the guiding figure for a jury or? Well, in a, when I say petite jury, I'm, I'm contrasting it with the grand jury, mm-hmm. which would be the, the charging jury. The, the petite jury is just what most people would think of as just the regular jury or the jury. So with a jury trial, where you have a trial by jury, that that would be a petite jury, not a grand jury. Or you could just say the jury. But um, in Minnesota, for misdemeanors, there's only six people on the jury for, for misdemeanor crimes. Um, and then there may be an alternate as well. But um, so that, yeah, you know, I think um, over the centuries, there's been a struggle between the jury and the judges. So back in English history, they actually would prosecute jurors for coming up with the wrong verdict that the government didn't like. Yeah. So they would they would put the jurors in, they would fine them or put them in jail um, and, and things of that nature because they found the wrong um, the wrong verdict. Also, the they would try to get them to they, there's been a a a point of contention over whether the jury should be the judge of the entire case or whether they should be limited or boxed into finding certain facts, whether facts are true or not. And so the judge would like, in the historically judges wanted to be, they wanted to take control over uh, questions of law as they would put it, and, and then just limit the jury or, or take power away from the jury and say, well, you can only decide whether this is a tr- whether this fact is true or not. So, for example, in England, um, if some somebody was accused of a libelous publication that the government didn't like, and so they say it's libelous, it's damaging reputation of someone, some mm-hmm. some somebody that the government favors, um, they would, the judge would could say to the jury, well, the only question before you as jurors is whether or not this printer printed this publication that's all you've got to decide if he printed the publication you say that then we'll just we'll determine whether it was libelous or not yeah well meanwhile if it was libelous the guy's going to get um 
hung until he's not dead, taken down, have his genitals cut off while he's still living, and then see them burn before his eyes. Then they were going to behead him and draw and quarter him and take the four pieces of his dead body to whatever parts of the kingdom the king so decides. Yeah. Yeah. No, it sounds like a complete... Yeah. So I think that I think that, that was actually was the basis, was the starting basis of jury nullification as we know it, was that a jury was was saying i believe that the case was around a group of people practice practicing religion in the streets and and the judge was like you guys got to find them guilty and they were like the jury came back and they were like yeah they were guilty of being on the streets and he was like no no they were guilty of a crime and that was like no they were guilty of being on the streets which wasn't a crime in that time and the the king or sorry the the judge in that case had actually put those jurors in incarcerated them until trying to force them into a different opinion and they came back and they said no and and so that's kind of from my understanding is the basis of where jury nullification came from was the look you can have the laws that you want but if the laws aren't sound then we don't have to you know you're not violating anything but that brings the question up of kind of the american civil or the american court system as it stands now with a jury of course jury nullification as i just kind of spilled the beans on there what kind of what is the what is the temperature now for them are they looking at it more for you know are they finding if the printer printed that or are they um because the cases i've seen a lot maybe this is more the the average is where they're determining whether they're innocent or guilty and then the judge is coming forward and determining you know the the charges from that is that kind of where they're at where they're at today well so you know historically this the struggle has been judges trying to turn juries into limited fact finders and then the jury's trying to say no 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 we want to we want to decide whether they're guilty or innocent of a crime and deliver what's called a general verdict as, a spo- as opposed to a special verdict, which is special. I always think of special in terms of specific or limited um, verdict to, to sort of details or parts. The general verdict is the whole darn thing, the whole enchilada, you know, guilty, not guilty. So the jury wants to say, you know, we can find him not guilty or her. Um, even if the law, if the law says that, um, it's a crime to have sex before you're married in Minnesota, fornication is a crime still, um, at least on the books. I haven't seen it enforced ever in my lifetime, but I love bringing that up because another one is, um, sodomy, Minnesota's sodomy statute includes oral sex among married people. So if you're a married person and you have oral sex, you're guilty of a crime. I'm sorry. Mm. Mm. Yeah, bad news for you. So <laughs> hopefully you won't get caught. Um, hopefully the police won't like come into your bedroom with their drones or something and see you having oral sex because you could be in big trouble, especially if they don't like you for some reason. You know, if yeah. you're some kind of political dissident or what have you, or some persona non grata. But um, the jury wants the jury. Traditionally, the jury has wanted to say, no, we have the right to veto the law and say, you know, we don't care if you have a law that says that it's a crime to have oral sex, even if you're married, we're not going to convict. We don't think that's a fair law. 
because the jury is supposed to be the conscience of the community. And that's the whole point of the jury. If, and even back hundreds of years ago in the trial of William Penn that you were just referring to, that they said, no, I mean, we, we have to be able to judge um, not only the facts, but also the law. And if the law is, is morally repugnant, we, we need to be able to acquit someone and say they're not guilty just because they publish some religious uh, tract that you don't agree with. That's not real. We're not going to convict him and see him drawn and quartered, you know? Yeah. Um, which, which brings up another issue, which is the issue of punishment. So today in Minnesota and probably in most states, we're not allowed normally to talk to the jury about punishment, about what happens if you convict my client, you don't get to know what happens. So that's a form of judicial uh, censorship. Yes, absolutely. Of the and, and it's basically defanging the jury, taking away jury uh, independence and making the jury, making it kind of like a kangaroo court in a way. Yeah, no, because it's like... For the audience, I'm sure that some of them have the same mindset I do. It's if you're sitting there and you're like, well, you know, if you could be on the cusp of, let's say I'm going to use a, a, a more heinous crime. If you're on the cusp between first and second degree murder, for example, and you don't know the difference between those two charges, right? You might have some people saying it's first degree and some people that might be having second degree. So when they're in those deliberations... If if you have enough sway and more people like, well, just go to the first degree. If you don't know what those, the consequences of those, if you're kind of being blinded by that, you just go, all right, well, I'm going to go for this. If you know what the consequences are, if you know, like, here's what the, what the spectrum is for first degree versus second degree. If you know those consequences, you can go, but this would be more justified in terms of a punishment. Having that scalability there is only going to empower the jury and so i can kind of see why they would try to keep that away from them yes exactly i think it's super important and i'm really uh i really feel that that's wrong that we are not able to or the judges don't want us to tell the the jury that if you convict my client of possessing you know two ounces of marijuana that he's going to go to prison for three years because he had his handgun in the trunk of his car at the time. Yeah. In, in Minnesota. So if the jury says three years in prison for marijuana, maybe, maybe we're going to say that's not right. Maybe we're going to bring in a not guilty verdict. You know, if the, if the penalty was a, a $300 fine, maybe we would convict him because, yeah. you know, he did, he did have the marijuana on him and it is illegal, but you know, it, I would, I think hopefully some people wouldn't even find him because marijuana should never be illegal, but uh, that's kind of, so, <laughs> but, but I think, you know, it's uh, justice. What is just is very, can be very context specific. You know, what we think is fair or unfair. There's a lot of uh, factors that could influence our ideas on that. And I think the jury has the right to know the truth. Yes, the whole truth. But the but the the current thinking in the legal profession and in the courts is that no, they don't. The judge has the right to only tell the jury as 
part of the truth, the part of the truth that the judge thinks the jury can handle. You know, they can't handle the truth, the judges think. Yeah. I think I think the jury can handle the truth. And Absolutely. they should be they should be given the whole truth that's relevant to it. Including the punishment. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's really important. If they are supposed to discern and be able to go through all of the evidence given before them, they're supposed to watch all the testimony. They're supposed to watch the the cross examinations, the examinations. They're supposed to watch all this stuff. Shrouding them and protecting them from some of the information just seems criminal to me. Um, it, you want to. We also look at this, and in, in certainly, right, you are somebody who works in this field, but you're somebody who has doused yourself in, in legalese and understanding the law and why things are structured the way that they are. I am somebody who's never worked in the legal field. I'm somebody who's interested in this. I'm somebody who, you know, has dabbled in this in, in some regards. I am well above the average when it comes to understanding how these processes work. So a lot of these jurors are coming onto these panels. They're being selected, and it's, it's it's the mechanic down the street who's never once looked at what a Republican was, what a Democrat was, just minds his own business. It's the mother with three kids that's too busy to to care about what's going on. It's all it's a lot of people. It's your average Joe Schmo that's on these juries. If they don't know anything, by shrouding them for more information, that just it seems like it just seems like it's completely. It's putting them behind the eight ball. It's get, putting them at a disadvantage to be able to make what is a justice system. And instead, it seems more in, in looking at it from the lens of the spider web of the issues we have within the criminal justice system. It seems more like a vengeance system or like a, a, a revenge system where if you do something wrong, in my opinion, I get to destroy you and we'll find a way how. Um, I, I, I want to. What are some of the other things that a. What are some of the more lesser known portions of a jury that's how they function or like some of the things that they can be doing? Because I know jury nullification, we talk about it a little bit, you know, a lot of liberty candidates, some Republicans, some Democrats um, talk about this. And I think it's important. But is there other things within the jury process or the jury powers that don't get discussed as much that could give them a little more leverage when it comes to having a little more power um, as they take their seats? Well, I think... Um... If you, I don't know, if you know, if you've ever heard of Robert's Rules of Order, I think that's short for Robert's Rules of Parliamentary Order, possibly, if I remember yeah. right. But um, so it, it's parliamentary rules, which actually, I believe, comes from English Parliament, um, which developed over centuries. So a lot of you read Robert's Rules of Order. I think there's modern versions of it that that don't sound like really old, but um it's there's a, a set of rules that are kind of generically available to people to use to try to have a, a orderly discussion in a large group of people where people aren't just shouting or you know beating each other down when they get mad or what have you um but one thing that i learned way back when is that uh in political parties at least the ones i've been in we, we've used Robert's Rules of Order, and what one of the basic core uh, tenets of um, an assembly or a body that has its own, has jurisdiction over itself. So basically, you can make your own rules, and when we have rules, those rules are agreed upon at the beginning of the meeting. You know, we don't just make them up as we go. We start out in the beginning, okay, we're these are the rules of this convention or what have you. 
-hmm. So, um, but we know that the ultimate authority is the group. So if, if the group votes to override the rules at any point, well, suddenly this issue came up and we've just decided we, we don't like that rule. It's very inconvenient. It's getting in the way of what we want to do. They can just override it because there is no higher authority. There is no review by anybody. There's no court. They can do whatever they want as a group, okay? The reason I'm talking about that is the jury is exactly the same. The jury is a power of itself. You know, we are all sovereign people. We are all individuals born into our own sovereignty. We all have the right to be alive and anybody who, who tries to kill us, we have the right to use self-defense to prevent that, right? And so when we're in a group, the group has the right to decide whatever it wants to decide. When a jury is constituted as a jury, that is a group, that is an assembly that can do whatever the hell it wants. Why do we tolerate a judge sitting up there in a black robe when we are in charge? That judge at ideally should at most be an MC, a master of ceremonies, just you know, uh, lubricating the activities or maybe like a chair at a convention, mm -hmm. kind of helping things move along, you know, and helping us do it more quickly, you know, more conveniently. But they shouldn't be, uh, you know, if you had a chair of a convention trying to throw their own personal views around and abuse their power, what would we do? We would depose them. We'd unelect them immediately. At least I would in my groups. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, so why should a judge be, why should we, suddenly become sheep the minute we walk into a courtroom. I mean, I think a person could, you know, take take what I just said too far. I mean, it's good to be smart and savvy and um, observant and, you know, but it's also good not to be a sheep. Don't back down. Just feel your power. You're on the jury. You are the, it, the jury is about you. Once you're on a jury, you are, you hold the power. It's all about you. The lawyers, Sometimes I use the analogy of a restaurant. Like I'm a lawyer, I'm like a waiter in a restaurant and a cook, you know. And you know, the judge is like the maitre d', you know. And I, we're in the back there cooking up a meal, and we hope, you know, the prosecutor's cooking up another meal, and you're going to decide which one you think tastes better. And then, you know, that's your power. We're serving you. We're your servants. You are in, you're in charge. You're paying the bill. You're there, not getting paid, not taking care of your life. You're sacrificing. We're there serving you, the jurors. You jurors, you're in control. I mean, you look throughout history, jurors have taken control, and God bless them. And people have advocated for that. And that is the, one of the most powerful forms of populism there ever was. And all the way back to the Greeks, it's the cornerstone of democracy. Democracy is sometimes, uh, you know, people talk about, oh, that's good, that's bad. But democracy sometimes is used as almost like a... a the same meaning the same thing as populism and mm -hmm. sometimes maybe it does except it implies you know maybe voting or representative democracy direct participatory democracy Jur a jury is a democrat it's a direct democratic process you don't have to elect an intermediary who does things when you're not looking and you hope that you approve of them but you don't really know yeah because you're busy doing your life i mean when you're in the jury you're you have the power you are the king or the queen or you're sharing it with, you're the oligarchy with the other 11 of you, you know, you're in control and you have somebody's life in your hands and you can just, you can squash them like a bug or you can set them free. It's up to you. That's incredible. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's people don't realize their power. They walk into a courtroom, they see a they see flags, they see a guy in a black robe who's sitting way up high above them. There's a there's a deputy with a gun on his belt, you know, and a uniform, and they they feel very uncomfortable. Like, what am I doing here? Oh my god. Yeah. But I wish people would understand that you know that they should when they walk into a courthouse they should feel like they own that that's their house they own it it's not the government's house it's the people's house and they shouldn't think any any other anything otherwise they should understand they they're the ones in charge the minute you give up your power you're powerless you shouldn't give up your power it's yours keep it and help all of the other people with use your power wisely yeah, I think that that's incredible. I, I I'm motivated. I want to go become a juror tomorrow with what you were just saying. But it's at the same time, like it's it's incredibly empowering to know like that you have those powers. And I feel like a lot of people, because they're not accustomed to the courtroom, right? Many some people are lucky enough to to go to a courtroom once or twice, um, because they're on one side of the courtroom. They're not even being a juror, and and so. You know, people's circumstances and experiences, of course, are going to vary. But going in and being a juror, I, I, I want to know how we can impart that into a civic education of like, when you're the jury, you are the power. Like you are, the world revolves around you. The universe is revolving around you in that courtroom. Um, take a hold, take, take a hold of those horns and and ride that bull and and take it where it needs to go. But. Um, I think that that was a, another thing that you ended there with is is the empathy part of this. You are, it's not just a blank, black or white court case. This is somebody's life, right? If somebody's accused of hurting somebody else, there's two people's lives there. You know, there's there's the spiderweb effect of you have to look at this and and did somebody harm somebody else? Did somebody take somebody else's stuff? What was the damages caused? How the repercussions? If you can find the research and figure out like what the what the punishment's going to be based on your your own uh your own findings of hey if i give them this this is what the thing is going to be cuz you can't talk about it but but jurors can talk amongst themselves about those things correct that's true so you know if if you are ever in that opportunity and i've got a couple coworkers that i'm going to have a sit down with and i'm going to play this episode for them um that are getting selected or in the process of potentially being selected for jury. And it's just like, Hey, here's what you need to do. You have the power, you empowering people with the responsibility and knowing that they are changing the trajectory of somebody's life. I think that once you put that in someone's hands, they're going to take it a little more seriously rather than, Oh, I can't go to work one day. I have to go and do jury. You're doing something that's important to the process. You can be a safeguard for Liberty. You could be a safeguard for, um for order you could be a safeguard for whatever your desire is but it is in your hands and as long as you're taking that with some responsibility and you're taking that with a little bit of ownership and you go in there and you do the right thing i mean that's all that we can advocate for right right i think i think one of the things you just commented on that i would highlight is that it also does limit the power of the government. And that's super important, I think, because, you know, sometimes the government, maybe they're doing all right, but sometimes, whoops, they went over, they went, they went wrong. And um, the two types of cases where jury nullification is most prevalent today is probably marijuana and gun possession. And, you know, back like, uh, 
before the Civil War, uh, we had the Fugitive Slave Act, where um, if a, a runaway slave went to a free state and somebody helped that runaway slave, they could be prosecuted under the Fugitive Slave Act and imprisoned in the United States. And so jur many, many jur Northern juries used jury nullification because after all, the guy was guilty, but the jury felt that the law was unjust and they were unwilling to enforce it. They refused. So with jury nullification, can you talk about how that process works? Like what, what is the threshold? Um, so if you, let's say we have a 12, 12 person jury, what is the threshold? Um, is there, how does it come about if you were to be in a court case and you, the court case was that somebody was had, was found with three grams of, of, of flour. So it's literally nothing at all. Very little. Um, they're being accused and being charged and it's now your jury. You're going in as a juror into the deliberations. How does, how do you set up that conversation? What is the thresholds? What's kind of the, the necessities there? Well, I guess one of the basic basic aspects of the jury's decision or decision making perhaps is that in order to have a verdict, a verdict is by definition unanimous, at least traditionally and in, I think in most states, I think there are a few states where they have watered down as part of the um, diminishment of the jury, I think, uh, where they uh, some states have they allow uh, non-unanimous verdicts. So like 11 to one or something like that. But in most states and traditionally it has to be unanimous. And in Minnesota, it does have to be unanimous in a criminal case. So um, if, but if, if in Minnesota, if there's a unanimous verdict to acquit, then that means the person was acquitted and they can never be tried again in state court. Maybe they could theoretically be tried again in federal court because that's a different jurisdiction. At least that's what the judges think these days. I'm, I personally am not sure about that, but that's the that's the prevailing view. Yep. Um, so if it's unanimous, not guilty verdict, it has to be unanimous. If it's eleven to one, it's not a verdict. But if it's unanimous, not guilty verdict, that means they're acquitted and they can't be tried again. If the person uh, is accused of possessing three grams of marijuana, and if if marijuana is a crime to possess. And the jury believes absolutely he possessed it. He said he did, you know, um, but we don't think anybody should be convicted of that. So we're going to unanimously, all 12 of us think we're going to, we, we vote for not guilty. So that would be an example of jury nullification, meaning the jury nullified the law. They decided that the law was corrupt or wrong, and so they refused to enforce it. They used their discretion. So it's kind of interesting that you know police officers have discretion to enforce laws or not. Prosecutors have discretion to enforce laws or not. But then when the jury is going to do it, we're going to call it nullification, and we're going to get really upset about it. <laughs> At least some people are. Why? Why? Why can police and prosecutors have discretion and power, but a jury isn't supposed to? That makes no sense to me, and it makes no sense to the courts in the United States. All courts acknowledge and recognize that the jury has the power to nullify in its verdict if it wants to.
that's beautiful um yeah i think it's interesting so there was a, a recent court case um down in indiana um our my friend william henry he was uh he was arrested for having small amount of marijuana and they actually brought it to a jury trial and so they spent thirty thousand dollars over a couple grams of of marijuana on this trial and going through it and they of course laced up the 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 body of the peers were i believe most of the the jury was made up of government worker spouses um it was kind of you know, kind of what you would expect in in an area that wanted to make sure that they got the the, the guilty charges that they did. Thankfully, he was let off kind of easy um, by the judge uh, through that process. But um, it is one of those things that you know, as we talk about this, we are especially when we talk about cannabis in some areas um, across this country. There's there's places where people are very much gung ho about hey, cannabis laws are are unjust. Let's get rid of them. Let's have you know, when you have uh, dispensaries looking like, uh, I think, what was the tweet? If you have a dispensary looking like a, an iPhone store or an Apple store, it's time to start letting people free. You have areas of this country that believe that, and, and that is clearly my view as well. But then you also have other areas, areas where they still call it uh, the gateway drug. They still call it, um, you know, they they call it similarly to methamphetamines and all these other hard drugs because they just have been susceptible to uh to the, that kind of a, of a view and programming and so if you are on the jury ever you have to figure out how to be the best public speaker you've ever been and you know you have to advocate and and well you don't have to you should it is your moral duty to stand up and and to advocate for the nullification on that and to get the other 11 15 or however many jurors are with you um in your time as being a criminal defense lawyer have you had any cases where you've been fortunate enough to see jury nullification or is that something you're allowed to talk about? Uh, I'm allowed to talk about it because I'm not in court right now. <laughs> if I was in court, I wouldn't use the N word. <laughs> I love Which it. Which is nullification. Nullification yes, yes, is the yes, N word. Yes. That's the N word that I'm referring to, by the way, in case anybody wasn't sure. Uh, <laughs> but that's kind of uh the N-word, the nullification word, it's kind of a, it's an interesting thing. It's it's a word that people don't like and kind of on both sides in a way, we it's kind of a love-hate relationship that we have with that word. It does capture uh, what the extreme form of jury independence, basically. It's the most, it's the most um, extreme or uh, notable uh, form of it pure form of it but and it's actually re somewhat rare and it's uh lim somewhat limited but juries there's another related term that the minnesota courts have used called jury lenience so the jury has the right of lenience kind of when i was talking before about police officers discretion yeah. prosecutorial discretion well the courts talk about the the jury has the power of lenity which is kind of a older word but lenity means lenience but um that's a more common word that any one of us might use today um you might be lenient with your uh misbehaving child or what have you you know or your dog or something but um 
but the jury lenity is the idea that the jury might uh, be more lenient than than what the facts appear to support. Okay. So, so for example, I've had I had a marijuana grow case where my client was accused of like seventy kilos of marijuana growing in a field. Um, and I got a jury instruction in Minnesota, a small amount of plant form marijuana under an ounce and a half is a petty misdemeanor. And I got the judge to give a jury instruction for that as basically a lesser included offense so that jury had the option on the menu, they could convict him of under an ounce and a half if they didn't want to just acquit him of everything. Um, so I've done that a few times and I've got, I've always gotten that jury instruction in Minnesota. Um, but the jury did not go for that. But interestingly, in that, as long as I'm talking about that case, yeah, they, um, they didn't convict him of over 50 kilograms. So the police and the crime lab, the state crime lab said that he had like, you know, 69.8 kilograms, you know, blah, blah, blah. So the jury convicted him of having between 10 and 50 kilograms, which nobody said that, by the way. Yeah. Nobody, I didn't say that. Then the prosecute, prosecution never said that. Nobody, nobody really, so I don't, I'm not sure how they could come up with that, but lawyers often call that kind of verdict a compromise verdict because you would think that they either believe it or they don't believe it. Either it's what they say or it's not, you know, um, I was saying it's not, and I'm kind of skipping over the argument because that would take too long, but they came back with, Oh, it's something in between, but I was hoping for an ounce and a half, but they, the judge gave them that instruction. They didn't know that it was me that had asked for that, you know, Yeah. but, um, and that's kind of unfortunate, but that's kind of how the system works. But, um, but the prosecution was asking for the over 50 kilos and between over 10 kilos. So he was acquitted of over 50, but he was convicted of over 10. So that that's kind of an example, or that is an example of jury lenity, probably. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. At least compared to what the state wanted. So if my understanding is correct, is there's kind of, there's, there's basically is what they asked for, and I'm trying to get the camera angle right. There's what they have asked for. Then you have like lenity, and and lenity eventually would get to potentially like a nullification where it's just like all full out outright acquittal or not guilty. And so you kind of have that. And so the spectrum there in itself is like the lenity, if you will. And you just well, there could be there could way. be more than one. There might be more than one charge. So in that case, there was more than one. There were three charges. There okay. were two from the prosecutor and one from the defense. Prosecution, the, the jury didn't really know where they were coming from. They're usually coming from the prosecution, but the defense has the right to request what's called a lesser included offense. Okay. Um, I mean, sometimes it comes up with self-defense type of situations where, um, so self-defense is very fact specific. It's really a jury issue. There's law on it, but basically the jury can do whatever they want, whatever they think is right. So it has been noticed that sometimes juries will find for self-defense when some people might disagree with it because 
the, the guy caught his wife sleeping with another guy and, you know, he shot the guy or something, you know. Um, and whether it was self-defense or not, some people say probably not, but the jury bought it anyway, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's real, it's, it's real hard to question a jury verdict. And that's one of the aspects of jury verdicts for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. I mean, they can do whatever they want and it's super hard to really look behind it. I mean, all you really know is what they, what their result is. You don't really know. Sometimes they, some of them will talk about it after the fact, some of them won't. And you don't, you don't really know for sure, you know, what happened or why. Wow. But you can speculate, but so there's a lot of situations, I would say 99% of the time when uh, the, the prosecution doesn't get everything they want, you could say that there was some kind of jury lenity going on, but if, unless they all 12 unanimously vote not guilty on everything or, or you know, it's probably not going to be called nullification, the N word. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's fantastic. It's, it's, it's a lot of great information there. Cause I, I feel like for a lot of people, when we look at it, the court system, right, we just, and those of us who've sat down and watched a lot of these court cases, we see like it's multiple charges and it's like guilty, not guilty throughout the, the throughout all of those. I haven't seen very many where it's like guilty on all charges. Um, some of those are because the, the facts don't line up and some of those the facts did line up but but as you're you're describing with the lenity they could be that it could be a whole litany of things i think it's a really interesting concept just in in general and um i'm really glad that you're able to take the time to break down a lot of the stuff for us um tonight this is my head is is reeling with like all the thoughts and everything else with this i want to know um if if you want to share like your like your favorite court case that you've ever won or are like, what was one of the biggest highlights there in, in, in the courtroom, if you're able to talk about those, I don't, I don't well, know what well, there's one. I think there's one other thing that I kind of like to squeeze in yeah. that we, we haven't really covered yet, which is um, basically a mistrial. So in Minnesota and probably most States, we require a unanimous verdict for a criminal case, either guilty or not guilty it has to be unanimous. So um, other lawyers and I and I have also said to juries uh, during closing argument that on a, that as a juror, you have uh, a one juror, one juror on a jury has the power to prevent an injustice, to prevent a guilty verdict, because unless there's a unanimous verdict for guilt then there's not going to be a guilty verdict. There may be a mistrial, and I'm probably not going to say that because the judge won't like it, but that is what would happen. If, if the jury does not come up with a unanimous verdict, the judge will probably, you know, ask them to keep trying, keep trying for a while and hope, you know, and then some jurors will try to uh, possibly bully the one holdout if there's, or two holdouts or whatever there are, the minority, the majority mm -hmm. might try to bully the minority a little bit to acquiescing and giving in so that they can get a, a verdict, a unanimous verdict. But in the end, if one person or three people want to hold out and say, absolutely not, I'm not going to convict somebody for harboring an escaped slave or for possessing uh, a firearm, you know, in their 
bedroom in a bad neighborhood when they were convicted of a felony 30 years ago. I'm not going to convict for that. I just don't think that's right. Yeah. So I think that's important that, that there would be a mistrial. And if there was a mistrial because the jury couldn't come to a unanimous verdict, then the prosecutor could have a, they could restart the process and have another trial. And I've also heard where a mistrial has led to the prosecutor going, look, we're not going to keep trying this case anymore. And kind of, it just, it, it the cards fall within themselves and everybody moves on from there as well. Um, right. Sorry. Or they could, sometimes they make a better, better offer too. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of little tricks of the trade there. Um, I'm so excited for this conversation. Um, any other last little bits that you could think of that you want to share before we start wrapping this thing up? No. Okay, so you are an incredible activist there in uh, the Minnesota State. What do you guys have anything coming up? I know you're working with Normal. I know that you've been working. You you've said some of the the things you love to work on um, in the pre-show. Anything coming up that people can plug into, and where can they follow you? Your social medias and everything else. Um. Well, with Minnesota Normal, we have a website. M I N N normal.org and i always say normal without the a normal without the anarchy uh, <laughs> you know a lot of, i think a lot of a lot of us are some of us might be more anarchist leaning but um but anyway normal is spelled without an a because it's an acronym but um and then my stuff uh on twitter at gallagher 61b and uh, my website, GallagherDefense.com, I have a blog and I write on various criminal law topics, including a lot of marijuana law topics and gun law topics. So if you guys are looking for marijuana, you guys are looking to get plugged in with uh, Minnesota Normal, or looking to find out more about Normal, whether because they're probably in your state as well, or you're looking to learn more about guns, go ahead, check it out. It was GallagherLaw.com. GallagherDefense.com. GallagherDefense.com. Go check out those links. Go check him out. Follow him. Fantastic source for all of your marijuana, your cannabis needs, your gun needs, and, of course, your criminal defense. Uh, I want to thank you so much, Tom, for joining us tonight. It was an absolute pleasure. I learned a lot from you, and I appreciate it so much. Thank you. All right. Uh, I will see you in a couple minutes. Uh, There we go. So, what... Today, a double header. You had Spike Cohen, Tom Gallagher coming through. We're talking about bail reform earlier, coming into tonight's show, where we were talking all about the jury. How empowering was that? I mean, I felt motivated. I wanted to go break into a courtroom and be like, I am now the jury after that conversation. Uh, there's so much there that we could be doing. And here's the important thing, is that we're taking these messages. And we're not just taking it, collecting it, and just letting it mull around in our head. Take this stuff, bring it out to your neighbors because your neighbors are going to be on the jury potentially before you are. Um, We got to spread the message because we need to be working to have a criminal justice system, a court system, a political system that is working in favor of the people. It's supposed to be for the people, by the people, and to the people. It's about time that us people come back and continue to work to make sure that we're holding it accountable and, of course, with the conversation around jury nullification, the, that N-word coming back, or ju- jury uh, leniency, 
we can we have a little bit more say in this than what we may have thought beforehand so go ahead give this a share out i want to thank you guys all so much for spending some time with us spending some time with me today bearing through the dad jokes from earlier and bearing uh, and learning a lot with me today i was so incredibly excited for today i'm so glad you guys were a part of this we'll see you guys next week i'll be back here next friday i've got the one and only uh, Marie Peel from Brevard County, Florida. She's coming on. We're going to be talking a little bit about how get how to get the gears moving um, when you're working for an organization, for an event, for a party, whatever you're working on, how you could be on the, on the backside and helping out so that you can get engaged to help out and make a difference in your community. Uh, but with that, guys, I hope you guys will be well, be good, and I'll see you guys next week.